Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. This is the greatest show in the galaxy. I'm Mike, and I'm joined, as always, by the fastest temp in Chiswick, Emma Foster. And in this episode, we're going to be looking back over Series 4 of Doctor Who, which is uh, getting into 10 years old now. First of all, how dare you suggest I'm from North London? And second of all, <laughs> <laughs> I wish we stopped talking about how this was nearly 10 years ago, because that's just ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like only yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so, well... I mean, first of all, we should probably talk about the returning companion, Catherine Tate. Oh, gosh, yes. Somewhat controversial in the in the Casa Foster, that's for sure. Um, this is when I, I, I worked at a, a dumpy branch, uh, branch of uh, the bank I used to work for. Mm. Um, and we used to have to keep all our stuff in like this flipping like um, oubliette basement, which had no <laughs> phone reception or anything like that. So, you mm. know, eventually you got... It was sort of lunchtime before I found out that uh, I got an expletive ridden text from my husband saying, <laughs> oh my bleep, they Catherine Tate's going back, bleep, 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 bleepity bleep, bleep. Um, and I was like, oh goodness, that's mm. going to put a cat amongst the pigeons. Because although, um, I mean, cause we talked a bit, a little bit about uh, Runaway Bride and uh, stuff like that uh, last week, actually, for our cliffhangers, it came up. But, um, you know, that, that episode was a little bit, didn't go down as well as it might have done for mm. for a start, and Catherine Tate was a little bit to do with that. Um, I, I'm sure this, you know, obviously in retrospect, how they sort of must have wanted to play her, or um, you know, they they just sort of you know saw something in her that from that that I think a lot of other people didn't quite get because the thought of her coming back and thinking it was going to be the Donna we got in the Runaway Bride. People were not happy about that mm. because it's going to be like it's this screechy kind of abrasive person in the TARDIS who's just going to be going, me, 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 while the Doctor's trying to do stuff. And, you know, it it was not going down well, let's put it that way. And then Catherine Tate came along and shut it all our mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember when she was announced to be coming back, I thought... Well, at first I thought, hmm, but I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, they're going to work on that. Yeah. But I, I thought that it was, I think just from based on Runaway Bride, I sort of, I was sort of a surprised mm-hmm. um, that they were going with, going with her character um, because, you know, Runaway Bride didn't really speak to her being a companion, let's put it that yeah. way. It's sort of, and as well, because Catherine Tate at the time was, was fairly was fairly famous i mean i think that her sketch show uh which she's primarily famous for in the uk here um was sort of had done a couple of uh, done not done a couple of series but sort of was getting popular um i, I don't want to i think it was on the radio before it was on the tv so it was starting to pick up a bit of traction and people and it was before like um you know her real her really big kind of character started getting quoted <laughs> Mm-hmm. sort of ad nauseam and all that sort of thing um so but she was just a bit like david tennant was just before he was cast as doctor she was just on the edge of being kind of a household name so she was getting known so i think the other thing was as well there was kind of a feeling of oh you know she is not someone who's gonna be hanging around or who would commit to do a whole series so i think that was kind of why you know along with how she was in the runaway bride was sort of the the surprise factor, I yeah. think, really more than anything, when it was revealed that she was going to come and do a full term. Mm-hmm. And um, the sort of 
her return wasn't actually always on the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to like bring this book up too much because I, I really like encourage people to go out and like get a copy for themselves. I mean, it's on Kindle and uh, iBooks and everything. But uh, the Rice Tale uh, mm. by Russell T. Davis and Benjamin Cook um, really sort of like gets into the nitty gritty of creating series four. And um, at the time, Russell T. Davies was uh, working on a character by the name of Penny Carter, who's like meant to be a journalist. And obviously we, we get to meet a character like that in mm. the first episode. Um, but it wasn't until, I think it was a Julie Gardner who just had like had a chance meeting with uh, Catherine Tate. And she just started like waxing lyrical about how much she really enjoyed her time. And they they started like having some chats and Rusty was always on the fence uh, the feeling that... Um, Oh, we'll we'll not get it back for a full series, but as so happened, the stars aligned and she got in, and I think mm. for the better. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, um, obviously, it's it's difficult to conjecture how Penny Carter would have been sort of with only going what's in the writer's tale, but mm. um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was fortunate that you know there is a softening of her character somewhat. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, and I think going in, like I say, going into uh, Partners in Crime episode one. I mean, I certainly felt quite a lot of trepidation, but you know, it was kind of all put to bed by Partners in Crime. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I second your second your thing of encourage people to check out the right tale. Mind you, it's so dense you kind of can't spoil it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. gonna you know, it's nearly it's ba- it's sort of gems everywhere in that book. Sort of anything you sort of care to pick out. So um, you know, I think really talk anything, talking anything about it, it really just sort of whets people's appetite because there's so much in there to, to check out and sort of, I mean, because there's sort of a none, there's no more comprehensive document of making a series of Doctor Who, I think, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Um, so we may as well just dive right in with Partners yeah. in Crime. Maybe my favourite series opener, full yeah, stop. it's certainly up there. Yeah. It's certainly up there and it's, it's, works because it's just a sort of like fun romp it's nothing nothing too heavy um you've got a you've got a um well you've got like a a villain who's kind of ridiculous and you've got like an alien species who's pretty ridiculous in the form of the adipose Mm. (laughs) yeah i mean it is pretty silly and it kind of helps that sarah lancashire is kind of She's kind of in the serverland space when yeah. we talk about sort of female villains. Mm-hmm. She's kind of decided to go, like I say, kind of incredibly camp Mrs. Thatcher. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's very, I mean, everyone's sort of not playing it for laughs. It's sort of on the, it's on the right side of being too farcical mm-hmm. because I think they were just on the edge, but the, it's genuinely funny. I mean, yeah. the bit where, Cat, where Donna and the Doctor are miming through the doors at each other <laughs> never fails to crack me up still to this day, and I've seen it a dozen times. Yeah, it was just pitch perfect. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pitch, like you rightly say, it could have been so much. And then by the, but the thing is, though, I mean, it, I was, again, like, it was one of the ones I watched with sort of a big group, and I was in a room full of people going, sort of biting their nails and being worried about what's happening, mm-hmm. to being completely in love with Donna in the space of 43 minutes. Mm. yeah um and i think as well sort of in the wake of you know what happened with martha in the previous series the fact that you sort of she has a very definite thing of like you know i missed my chance coming with you and it's purely because you know i just want to see what's out there and you know and the doctor's saying that i want a mate mm-hmm. and it's sort of very <laughs> definitely not 
yeah you know a, a romance subplot or they sort of go out their way to a sort of minute one stamp on any idea that the doc- that donna might be into the doctor in that way you know they're not at all they're purely in it i mean for donna for the sort of you know just for the experience and the doctor as well to sort of not have someone with baggage almost the baggage mm. of you know fancying him and all this sort of thing you know i think they they sort of went out of their way to address that and you know kind of throw it in the bin in minute one you know yeah. or in sort of episode one of the series um so yeah you know i mean it, again it's it's funny but it's kind of it's not farcical mm. and yeah i was going to say just for for what it's just what you want for an, a series opener it's you know it's quite light like you say the the villains are kind of silly but terrible you know gross at the same time mm-hmm. this whole idea of your, your fat just walking away out of the cat flap <laughs> <laughs> is um you know is kind of horrifying and but weird at the same time and obviously they sort of put the little seeds in for the rest of the series with um their planet being destroyed which will be relevant later mm-hmm. um because I remember we used to watch these episodes sort of scaring, saying, what's going to be the thing this year? What's going to be the thing? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, they sort of put that straight front and centre that this is going to be important later. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I struggle to find fault in Partners in Crime. I really do, because I just think it's the perfect kind of capsule 40, like I say, 43-odd minutes of Doctor Who, um, modern Who, that mm-hmm. is, sort of. And also, it's kind of... Um, it's a good if you you're sort of not into the whole Rose saga and all this sort of thing, you can kind of jump on series four episode one. Yeah, I mean because I know that we sort of when we've talked about where you can sort of jump on with this series, saying you know series five episode one is a great place to jump on, but equally so's four one actually. You can mm-hmm. you can manage with four one. Five is a bit easier, but you can do it before because it's just so for everybody really. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing it does help with um, establishing Donna as a more like sympathetic uh, uh, character is by having that bit um, with where it's just sort of like set through like a series of dissolves where her mother's just absolutely just ranting at her, mm. and you just sort of like feel oh, pure thing, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but it's it's kind of weird like watching that back now because. Um, Sylvia says, um, you know, you're unemployed. Nobody's been, nobody's been like unemployed since the 1980s. This was just before the uh, economic yeah, before recession. the crash. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Yeah, it was. Just like, I mean, because like I say, I mean, the past is a different country, right? And because mm-hmm. compared to how from now to, to how things were back in, you know, back when these episodes were broadcast, back you know, uh, April 2008, mm-hmm. you know, things were were very different it was just sort of the fag end of the bush administration yeah you know this is before the the big like you say before we had a big economic slump before the the stock the um housing bubble crashed in the u.s mm-hmm. so yeah like you say i mean you know jobs were much different and all that sort of thing you know so it it, it like i say it's it's a reflection of its time and um yeah the 2008 was very different mm-hmm um, so you said you'd seen this like with a large group of people. So yeah. I have to ask the question: What was the reaction like when Rose showed up? Wow, I've never. It's I've I've been to gigs. I've been to, I've watched Doctor Who in big groups, and I've never heard a reaction mm-hmm. like I have when 
yeah, when Rose turned around because, like I say, it was almost it was completely a secret because yes. obviously the they give out press copies of these episodes mm-hmm. so that people can get reviews in the papers for the day it goes out and such. So of course, being you know nerds, we sort of judiciously avoid these things. But what they clever little clever little so and sos have done is leave this scene out of the preview copies. Yeah. So nobody knew about this, mm-hmm. and just the. <gasps> kind of collective just like it felt like this air just like got sucked out of the room because like this collective gasp mm-hmm. of um what was happening yeah it was it was really special i'm so glad i saw it with with people yeah and actually sort of even watching it at home it's kind of a it's kind of a moment that the 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 hairs on the back of your neck stand up a bit mm-hmm. yeah i mean exactly it's when she, i mean we see you see from the back and you sort of like sort of think, is it? No, no, no. no. Yeah. And then she turns around. It's like, oh shit, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. It. It. I'm. I'm so glad that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even think it was in like the um. When it was the nowhere. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say even at the premiere, you'd like to say because again, um, they still do now have um sort of show these episodes to big groups of fans you know maybe a, a two weeks in advance and yeah. you know i know i knew people who'd gone to a screening and you know obviously had were choosing not to talk about what they'd seen but you know rt didn't give, didn't give him a chance to spoil this mm. he must so, have been absolutely cackling <laughs> oh he must have been just rolling around booing marvelous at the, you know it, it just um yeah it was it was great i mean yeah. I, I struggled to think of you know, like I say, even going to fit, you know, going to big music, you know, big big artists, and they do their do their sort of signature track, or you know, things like that. It, it's it's kind of comparable to that almost mm. of hearing hearing your favorite artist do your favorite song live. It's it it was just remarkable. Yeah, hooray, hooray. <laughs> okay, so um, should we move on to the fires of Pompeii? Oh, yes, a.k.a. the future stars of Doctor Who Showcase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so um, weird watching this one back now. Yeah, it really is. It's so weird. <laughs> it, um, I mean, because I mean, it's quite, it's, it's quite strange because we just happened to be watching today while we were sort of, uh, we had an episode on in the uh, uh, DVD on in the background while we were, I was sort of in and out baking today. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we had Carnival Monsters on. Yeah. So it was just the sort of thing of obviously you see dear old Harry Sullivan before he's Harry Sullivan, but I mean seeing a doctor before he's a doctor, um, yeah. yeah it's I mean again, and if you want to sort of showcase about how good Peter Capaldi is, mm. he's nothing like <laughs> anything you would have seen him do sort of before or since. Really, um, his character is very. I mean, I've I've sort of struggled to think of any sort of character Peter Capaldi's played like that before, really, or or since, and it's sort of. One no. of his unique creations. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's just sort of like... It's, he's kind of like an everyman. Mm. You know, he's you know, he's a doting dad, you know, loving yeah. husband. But the bit at the end, after the Doctor rescues he and him and his yeah. family, and they're just looking out over the destruction of Pompeii, and he's sort of like... He, he's trying to be, like, stoic. Mm. I mean, he says, you know, it's... So volcanic, so almost like a volcano, and then when he says all those people, and you, you can hear him crack. Yeah, uh, just at the sheer like loss of life, mm. and I mean 
the visual effects in this one are just amazing. Yeah, they. I mean, I think that I think you could probably take or take or leave the pyrovials a bit actually. <laughs> but I quite the, like pyrovials. Yeah, they're okay, but I mean, the actual thing of the eruption and mm-hmm. the um, the sibling sisterhood uh, featuring one Miss Karen Gillan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like, obviously, all their makeup and their styling is really great. Like, the costuming in this episode is mm. great. But, I mean, it's something I'm sure they said in the commentaries, or I think it comes up in the writer's tale as well, that the effect of the Doctor squirting the pyrovials with the, the, the clearly <laughs> just shooting about three inches water pistol, <laughs> and they decided to leave it deliberately sort of <laughs> obviously short. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it, it kind of pales into insignificance with the, the the chat that donna and the doctor have mm-hmm. about you know you know sort of what the the doctor's proposing to do in that you know we, we can't do anything to save the people of pompeii this is their fate yeah you know um yeah it's um really it's it's it kind of out of an episode which could be quite ordinary mm-hmm. the doctor and donna stuff in this sort of really bumps it up a notch yeah, I mean, especially like because there's it, like sort of three parts to it, really. Yeah, there's obviously you know Don objects to basically what the Doctor's waxing about the fixed point in time, and this is kind of like where the first like mention of the phrase uh, comes from. Where mm. he's, yeah, he's talking about Pompeii. Um, but also the fact that um, he is actually the one who has to trigger the eruption by yeah. by stopping it. And the fact that, you know, he's so torn up about... He knows it's what he has to do. Yeah. Um, but it's when Donna, like, puts her hands on top of his and they sort of resolve to do it together. Yeah. Um, there's then the bit where, after they get flung clear of um, Vesuvius, um, as they're, like, running through the streets trying to get back to the TARDIS... She's shouting, you know, don't go to the beach, go to the hills. And which is an actual like proper um Yeah part of history. A lot of people fled to the beach because they thought it would be safe there and turned out no. But even then, the advice Donna gives is wrong because the people who made it to the hills still got caught and were killed. So yeah. sort of like fate's really sort of working against Donna here. She's trying really her best. Is. She's trying her best to sort of like help, but it just it just is not happening. And then the bit where they finally get into the TARDIS and they, you know, hightail out of there, and Donna's just sobbing, just saying, "Please, just save somebody. Don't save the whole yeah. town. Just someone." Um, yeah. it's, just... it's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It re- I mean, let's say, I mean, again, Catherine Tate, an actor, an actor who's classically trained. I mean, she's a. Uh, I mean, before she was doing comedy and stuff like that, I mean, she was in she's the Royal Shakespeare Company doing theatre. She does a lot of theatre now. And she sort of really brings brings out a real aspect to her or showcases some skill that I think a lot of people didn't realise that she had. Mm. So, again, if, you're, if, if Partners in Crime didn't change your mind about Donna the character, Fires Upon Pay will change your mind about Catherine Tate the actor. Mm. 
definitely. And yeah, it it really does. And but again, even I mean, there's funny bits in it as well. The bit where she's you know talking about you go to TK Maximus and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we still call it TK Maximus now. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just it, the little bits of sort of funny bits that they they sort of put in the script to sort of because obviously to sort of show Catherine Tate's ability as a comic actor, mm-hmm. it's kind of not overly in your face. It's not like this is a funny line in this script. It sounds like a person would say it naturally. Yeah. So, yeah. but it, it, you do sort of feel like as well, they off, they sort of like to give these companions a welcome to time travel, bitch. This is what it's like <laughs> um, sort of episode. And they sort of hit Donna hard in the first couple of episodes as we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, an unexpectedly tough watching places of Fire Pompeii, but you know it's it it's got little bits of fun in it which really make it rewatchable. Yeah, like um, all sort of the the Latin gags. Yeah, the Latin <laughs> gags. Yeah, it's turned into Celtic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and it also has the running gag throughout the series of uh, people mistaking. The Doctor and, the, and Donna as a couple. For a couple, yeah. Yeah, so they're really sort of like hammering the, uh, no, Donna is not interested in the Doctor in that way whatsoever. No, um, have you got the message yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I I, I, do, I do love Fires of Pompeii. I mean, like you say, yeah, the, the pyrovile themselves, like the adult forms, aren't mm. like super great. But, you know, I think it's like very inventive of them. And Oh, yeah, and I think the human form sort of ones are actually quite effective yeah especially the um uh the head of the sibling sisterhood who's mm. pretty much completely stone that's really great makeup that's really that. good yeah yeah it's great um yeah uh so do you want to move on to the planet of the ood yes right next to the scent sphere it's the ood sphere uh. <laughs> um yeah, it's again. It's a sort of a welcome to time travel kind of one yeah. for Donna, and, and a kind of another sort of moral conundrum of the Ood, which um, you know kind of got brushed over a little bit when we met the Ood first time in um, mm. Satan Pit, um, with the fact that Donna becomes increasingly horrified that these poor buggers are enslaved. Yeah, um, which you know obviously she should be. Um, but then the doctor kind of comes straight back at her with a, like a, who do you think you made your clothes, which is kind of like, Ooh. Yeah. But Ooh. That's, a, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's not wrong though. No, it's not wrong. He's right. Yeah. And it, so, it's, this one's really, yeah. really it's like challenging in places. I mean, this one just, it doesn't really stand out in my head very much. There's certain no. big segments, but it's that. And, um, obviously you've got the giant Ood brain. Mm. Um, and also, uh, the villain of the piece, Mr. Halpin. Who suffers a fate incredibly a unique and sort of horrific. Yeah. Um, you, I, I think that at the time there was a thing about this episode getting trimmed for censorship mm-hmm. because it was kind of too grim to put on at sort of tea time. Yeah, it was supposed to be a this lot conclusion. worse. Yeah, yeah. this was meant to be a lot worse, yeah, if memory serves. So, um, but yeah, I think, again, it's kind of, it's a little bit forgotten, Planet of the Ood, apart from the whole Dr. Donna stuff. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, you know what we know now, but at the time it was just a thing of the, the Ood kind of don't sort of express that they're just this person and that person. They kind of refer to them as Dr. Donna, mm-hmm. which we don't realise is going to be quite significant mm. up until 
uh, up until later. Um, but yeah, any episode which ends with someone effectively hawking their own brain into their hands <laughs> is something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that bit when I remember, I remember watching that, I was just thinking, whoa, oh, wow. Blimey. I mean, yeah. I mean, the sort of the bit where you like, you see him like from the side, and he sort of hooks up the the mouth, sort of fronds bit. Mm. That was a bit like cheesy, but it's just like the this like the skin peeling away from the back of the skull, and it's just like, oh my god, really? Yeah, don't mess with the ood. They will fuck you up. Yeah, <laughs> jeez, gee whiz. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was kind of I, I I think that obviously they decided that the the ood needed more of a more more exploration, mm. and um, I'm glad you know, and I'm glad that it's an episode you know that they did do this yeah. um, because you know having this kind of well, you want to say slave race, but they're kind of like a client race almost. Mm. Um, the idea of being like a client state in sort of medieval times. Um, yeah, that that humans would exploit. Um, yeah, we're shit and we live, don't change. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and the the various Ood episodes go to prove that. Um, mm. So it's it's a, it's it's a thing. I, it's nice that they went back to, but uh, unfortunately, a, a touch of an unforgettable episode. Yeah. Um. So then we have to sort of move on to. I think. Probably the weakest star. But this is a strange thing. I think that series four, on the whole, is one of the strongest series of Doctor Who we've had. Yeah. Um. However, it's like the Sontaran stratagem and the Poison Sky don't quite. They're not bad. It's not enough for two. Yeah. It's not enough for two. Unfortunately, I mean, again, a great premise. Mm. I think the Sontaran stratagem is by far the the stronger episode myself. Mm. Um, yeah. it, as I say, that sort of opening with the car driving into the water and and things like that. It's um, and as well seeing that Martha's okay. Yeah. As well, um, again, sort of with the the Jones family inexplicable rising up the ranks of jobs very quickly. <laughs> Seems to be now extremely senior at unit. Um, yeah, so it, it like I say, it's nice that Martha's you know got a job and um, she's doing all right. Um, but yeah, that sort of it, it's, it's again, it's nice. It's nice that we've got the Sontarans back in a you know in a in a biggish role as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again maybe worth it for the back of the neck joke that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and the doctor going, "Oh, I love you, Don." She's like. Up on the phone, I do like. I mean, that is funny. Mm-hmm. That's great stuff. And again, that their, their chemistry is is really great. And it's kind of every episode of series four is kind of worth it for any interaction that those two have. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, especially like the bit you know um, in Sometime Stratagem when Donna says she's going home, and the doctor starts to give this like speech about everything he wanted to show her, you know, how she saved his life, like how so very grateful for her company he was, and then he just saw like, you're just popping home for a visit, aren't you? She's like, yeah. <laughs> <It's> you idiots <laughs> yeah. again i do love that it, it's kind of the, the the sort of the their friendship is is really a really good level for a doctor and companion mm-hmm. and uh yeah um it, it's a it, any, anything with those two interacting and doing stuff is worth watching but i think it i think that it's kind of you know, when I was reading through the list of episodes for this, you know, just kind of refreshing through my memory and stuff, mm-hmm. um, 
this two-parter, it was like, oh yeah, this is here, isn't it? Yeah. It's a shame, because, I mean, I, I don't want to say Helen Mayne is a bad writer, I just think she sort of ends up getting lumped with some of, like, the maybe the weaker ideas. I mean, the, mm. the general conceit of the two-parter is great, but, it, like mm. you say, it's just not enough. Yeah, and kind of a, you know, maybe kind of a the villain of the of the piece is maybe not as impactful as as he could be. I mean, this kind of very kind of um, irritating kind of junior Bill Gates uh-huh. <laughs> slash, um, you know, slash. Um, oh, what's your man from Apple? Steve uh, Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Um, irritant child, essentially. <laughs> yeah, sort of whining his way through the episodes. It's Ugh. it, you know. You are just a. You did get to a bit of like, oh, just will you die? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this heroic sacrifice at the end of Poison Sky. It's not. I don't even like. So I feel like, oh, it's a shame, but it's more like good. The crowd goes wild. Yeah. <laughs> as a fan of eighties um, comedy as well, I have to give a big shout out to Christopher Ryan, aka yes. little little Dave Hedgehog. <laughs> um, as as a, as a general style, um, general general Mike the cool person. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, love him. Uh, yeah. So it's good to see him in in this. Mm-hmm. And we also get introduced to uh, our sort of residents on Taran nowadays. Dan Starkey as uh, yes. Commander Score. Um, yes, it goes on to bigger things. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's surprising how like remarkably straight he plays it in this one because obviously because we all always think of like Strax and then yeah. occasionally the two like comedy sometimes we had it in their time at the doctor yeah um, he's great though i mean because i saw him at a convention kind of mm-hmm. i think about maybe a year after this and he got a couple of uh he sort of got a couple of sontaran sized guys out of the audience <laughs> you know and he, they were going to do the old sontara thing and he's like, you know, uh, first, you know, take your take your hand and then make a fist like you're crushing a tiny human and then slam <laughs> it into your other, like this sort of thing. You know, so he's a really, he's one of those people who's like, put him in everything. I want to see this dude in everything because he's mm-hmm. fun. Um, but yeah, the whole Sontar Harbour is, um, yeah. you know, here's a, here's a block of Gouda I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. I um, it's, uh... I don't it's because like, it's it's about it's about a one episode and a third of a good of a two parter, mm-hmm. and then kind of towards the end, just goes because it kind of runs out of of gas. Mm-hmm. Ironically, being this is about the Atmos factory. Yeah, I did um, like Colonel Mace though. He was quite uh, good. Yeah. He, he just like, does not take the Doctor's shit whatsoever. No, it's like you know. I mean, because I feel like everyone who's sort of in unit gets briefed. Senior enough in unit gets briefed about the doctor and is just like, just nod along and you just, you know, mm-hmm. stop, don't take his rubbish, do it, do this and that. Um, but I mean, I think something else that that came up with these episodes is that some of the the kind of the the kids of the seventies who grew up with the unit stories, the John Pertwee era, mm-hmm. really, really kind of dug the kind of the old school vibe of having the doctor and unit running around solving a problem. Yeah. I mean, so in that respect, it was it was sort of a nice blast from the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always loved the bit um, when Mace faces down the score, and he just mm. you know he's he coming in from behind him, he just turn and face me, sir. And the second score just turns back, he just like double taps him, and just like, yeah. just like stops him like that. It's I I mean, normally it's a bit of an anti climax, but in a way, it was just like yeah, perfect. Just gets the job done. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Always double tap. 
Mm-hmm. Right, they're the Doctor's daughter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine why David Tennant fell for George Moffat. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. no. Um, it's, again, this is sort of like, this kind of sort of joins um, uh, sometimes trying to Poison Sky. It's sort of like the sort of forgotten one. But yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's not bad, again. Um, there's a lot of like story beating in that I do really like. I mean, especially the fact when... Um, Donna does the maths and she figures out this generations-long war has only been going for about a week. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's awesome. I love that. That's so brilliant. Again, using using your companion the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of jotting down all the little bits and pieces and working things out. It's so cool. It's again, but saying all the Donna stuff kind of makes this episode worth its submission. The whole thing about the child support and <laughs> um, you know. The, the CSA and all this sort of thing. It's it, again, it's something that could be very po-faced mm-hmm. and very kind of two tribes go to war sort of thing. Yeah. It's um, it, it's sort of those little moments of levity that you kind of that kind of make it worth worth your while. I think mm-hmm. maybe the the main premise is a little bit flabby. The yeah. half are a little bit mm, not sure about the half. Oh, great design. I like them, and I like the fact that they can't. They can't get translated. Yeah, I like um, that. I mean, but yeah, they're quite remarkable to look at. Mm-hmm. But sort of once you you get past that, it's a little bit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Martha got sort of shafted on this. Uh... Once again, that yeah. poor woman, <laughs> the great dumping ground of, of you know things that have to go wrong in Doctor Who episodes. This mm-hmm. poor, poor love. I like you know that she's like right that will do again. I've <laughs> right. nostalgia oh, nostalgia over. I'm off. Yeah, but the, the weird thing is she could have, like, avoided all this if she'd said her goodbyes outside of the TARDIS and uh, poisoned the sky. <laughs> so yeah. she goes inside again to have another look and uh, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I think Martha kind of suffers it because, you know, obviously Donna is the companion. So mm-hmm. Donna has to do the awesome companion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I do, I do, you know, as an as an admin person, up the admin people. <laughs> Um, so, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Jenny? What did you make of Georgia Moffat? Um, you know, it. <laughs> Hello, Georgia Moffat. What we'd like you to do is to play the minutes-old clo- uh, sort of DNA rendering of this man here, mm-hmm. and you're kind of this uh, kick-ass warrior. Go. <laughs> Yeah. And also we're going to do we're going to rip <laughs> because we are shameless. We're going to rip off the <laughs> the video for Britney Spears Toxic while we do it. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Which again, I mean because I remember watching I was like, what the fuck that's toxic. And yeah. looked to me like, what? What are you talking about? And then of course I had to, you know, fire, you know, find a video of Toxic to show it. <laughs> Which is, you know, something else. But yeah, um I I, I think to be honest Given that brief, mm-hmm. I don't really know what else she could do. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of like so, her so generally chipper nature, even when she's just like wrecking people and all that. Yeah. Because I, I, um, it, it's also quite interesting, like watching like David Tennant play off against because you can tell like the Tenth Doctor's like really sort of freaking disturbed that yeah. he's now got this offspring, which was sort of like forced upon him. 
really. You know, uh, one of the soldiers say, grabs his hand, shoves it into this um, cloning machine, and then out she pops. So mm-hmm. he, he spends a lot of the time sort of t- dismissing her, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not pushing uh, her away. Yeah. And it's it's kind of weird. Because, but it's sort of like, in a strange way, you can sort of like get it because this was like forced upon him. He literally had no sense. It's not like he sort of like knocked somebody off, knocked somebody up, and then just buggered off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This, this, this. He was just sort of like forced against his will to have this child, but it's still like sort of like you know, and Donna again, you know, being the voice of reason, it just rightly like like calls him out on his shit. You know, it's like you know, mm. knock it off. Yeah, you but, know, it's not her fault either. Yeah. essentially. So, and as well, I mean, because obviously it taps into all the doctor's feelings about his his family and his mm-hmm. his people being gone and potentially this is the only the one and only ever sort of family all fucked up as that my concept might be mm-hmm. um that he could ever have yeah um or you know the, the whole thing of not wanting to be hurt again in that way by losing family mm-hmm. and this or this thing has kind of been thrust upon him as a as a family yeah. that he he desperately wants to reject because he can't bear losing it again. And of course, mm-hmm. as far as he's concerned, he does lose it again. Yeah, but I mean that bit where um, he, you know, gets Cobb's gun and nearly, very nearly, sort of like ends him, but yeah. then he just goes, "I never would." Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's a really strong moment. In a, I'm not sure what doesn't quite work about the the doctor's daughter, um, mm. because I mean it's it's kind of an episode. I remember sort of going, oh, it's all right at the time. Yeah. But it's got really great bits. Mm-hmm. It's maybe this is just one of those ones where it just for whatever whatever reason, there's no like particular rhyme or reason about it. It just doesn't quite click. Hang together. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, it's, there's a lot, like I say, there's a lot of good parts in it. But mm. overall, it's just sort of, it's not, like I say, it's not bad. It, no. it doesn't really stick. I think it sort of just gets overshadowed. Yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of over-rotated and didn't stick the landing, I think, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, yes, it's the Unicorn and the Wasp. I bloody love this episode. <laughs> Um, I think that there, there's a case to be made that this goes into too much into farce and mm. it's too silly, but I love this. It's so good. Yeah, I think I sort of remember when we were talking about series three, I, I was kind mm. of a bit, a bit down on Unicorn and the Wasp. I think it's just because I, just Gareth Roberts and by extension Russell T Davies do like to just like drop in the nods and winks. I mean, sort of the bit with... Um, I was it the, I can't remember was it the professor sorry the professor in the library with the lead pipe bits that was yeah. good it was like all the drops of the Agatha Christie titles that sort of yeah. like oh yeah I see what you're doing but the more it sort of goes on it's just like yeah okay yeah okay yeah great you've yeah Agatha Christie great okay yeah but on the whole yeah I do love this episode I mean especially you because all sort of the the usual sort of Christie cliches are there. Yeah, and and they do like take the piss out of it, like nicely, just like nicely. So though, it's not yeah. us, like pointing for you, ha ha, this is dumb. But I mean, you know, the fact when 
you know, to, to have like the the gathering with the suspects. My favourite bit because Donna's sitting there eating grapes, going, "Oh, so she done it? No, no." All this sort of thing. It's so funny. And the bit it's where the, so... yeah, the bit where the doctor points at Agatha Christie, she's like, "What?" It's like, "No, no, I'm, I'm just saying this is." Do you know it reminds me of a bit? Do you did you ever see this was on in the nineties and Tom hmm. Baker was in it sometimes? Um, there was a Cluedo TV program. I've heard tell of the strange beast, but I've never really yes. saw it. I loved the Cluedo TV program. It was, I mean, because I've watched it again. It's on YouTube. I've watched it again recently, and it, it's terribly cheesy. Mm-hmm. But the the, the the premise of this is that um, you have like the characters from all now old Cluedos. They've changed one, a couple of the characters around now, mm-hmm. um, and they would have like a, a scenario. So a bit like this: that someone would uh, turn up to the house, and then they'd be sort of done in, and you had to. Um, they show this to a panel of celebrities mm-hmm. and also uh, an audience, and the you know, and then they'd have the actors who played, which is people like Christopher Biggins, like I say, Tom <laughs> Baker was in it as well for a series or two, and you'd have them sitting in character mm-hmm. while the panel of sort of your sort of range of mid 90s celebrities would in, then interrogate them, and they would respond in character, mm. and at the end you would have to guess who who done it. And it's a little bit like that in sort of tone in that it was terribly cheesy <laughs> at the time. I mean, it was very kind of like watching Dynasty or, you know, kind of those mad old sort of 80s soaps. It's all mm-hmm. big, big dresses and big performances. And, um, you know, it kind of reminded me a bit like that when, when the unicorn who turns out to be sort of this cat burglar drops her accent and is like, yeah, I'm the bleeding unicorn and all this sort of thing. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, it's like that because at the end of the Cluedo thing, when the the reveal was revealed, mm. they would put the spotlight on them and they're like, "Yeah, I did it, and this is why." And you know, it was it was all. Like I was going to say, if you ever come across this thing on YouTube, I implore people to check it out. It's amazing. Um, I'm going to look it, it up. I think. <laughs> yeah, look it up. It is funny. <laughs> um, I was going to say, if you're ever stuck, it's almost invariably Miss Scarlet. Mm. <laughs> they were a bit obsessed with her for some reason. Gee, I um, wonder. Yes, mm, could, mm. How, why could that be? Mm. But yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like they sort of went, right, this is the one we're going to do where it's going to be big performances, it's going to be funny. Yeah. And they just kind of went with it. Yeah. Because obviously we know what's coming. So this is their kind of their moment to hang loose mm-hmm. and do something and, and actually sort of do one of my favourite Doctor Who things which is base it around a real thing that happened with Agatha Christie genuinely went missing for 10 days and no one knows what happened to her. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's what I do. So I, this is what I, one of the good points I like about um, Gareth Roberts' like, knowledge of uh, Agatha Christie because he they took this like point in her life, which actually was a real mm. thing. Yeah. And just sort of like threw the Doctor Who conceit around it. Yeah. It's absolutely one of my favourite things is to take a, a historical actual historical event and then mold a doctor who concept around it Mm -hmm. so as well as and like i say it's one of the things of like you say it's it's clearly done by people who love these stories Mm -hmm. and it's it's not done in a way of like look like you say look how stupid it is and you know it's pretty obvious that you know but you've got to remember that agatha christie was right on the cutting edge of when you know because when agatha christie was writing these stories these kind of murder mysteries were like the the crazy like the most like the craze of the of the time mm-hmm. and she was incredibly important in that yeah. and you know i think to sort of you know go back and read her books you know near enough 100 years later because you know oh it's a bit obvious and you know they're not 
particularly difficult to work out if you're into that but you know to to appreciate what she was doing as a female writer at the time in in a genre which was incredibly popular and um you know it challenged her to to do something you know and the tragedy of agatha christie was that she hated it she hated everything she did and it's really like no you want to say no it was good and it's kind of part of the um the story as well of trying to you know lift her up yeah. as well which is really good yeah like get her back into the group yeah like i say mm. I, I i do like really enjoy this episode i think it's just like all this like the the title drops that they do it's just sort of like after a while it gets mm. a little bit sort of like oh yeah okay but um actually one of the ones i always like is when um the doctor sort of uh it's like mangles the title um the murder at the vicarage into murder at the vicar's rage and don't just like mm. looks at him it's like what the you talking about talking about i think the only i think maybe where it falls down a little bit is the the reveal of the monster yeah which again is a little bit mm. i mean uh, the best the best isn't like necessarily a bad creature i mean it's just a no. bloody big wasp really yeah it's a big wasp so um, you know your, your mileage is going to vary with the monster of the series the episode being a big wasp mm-hmm. You know, you do wonder if maybe they've just been a little bit kind of brave and just done a straight story, maybe not have any monsters in it. It's just a people thing. Yeah. That would have been interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think they sort of maybe wrote this and thought, ooh, we better have a monster in it. Yeah. I think it's, that probably like felt like that needed to be the conceit because otherwise yeah. what, would have ex- what would have been the explanation for Agatha Christie's disappearance? Well, yeah, exactly. So I think they sort of ended up in a place of, ooh, we've got to mm-hmm. kind of have someone turn into a wasp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, it, it all pales into comparison. I mean, things that happen in this episode. I mean, when, when we haven't even talked about the part where the Doctor is poisoned by cyanide. <laughs> That's great. Um, it's incredible. Here, have this. What is it? Salt. No, it's too salty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's too salty. salty. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty much what salt is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Can't fault him there, but yeah, I mean, um, I would imp- again seek out if you can the the behind the scenes part again, done mm-hmm. directed with uh, loads of pace and energy by <laughs> our favourite Graham Harper. Um, yeah. Uh, if you can somewhere find the confidential that went with this episode <laughs> and how they filmed that, um, I implore people to check it out because it's amazing. Harvey Wallbanger. Harvey Wallbanger. <laughs> and that Shuck shouted that up the stairs as I like. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause it's our favourite episode as well. I remember mm-hmm. um, when, um, well, a few years ago now, this is um, when we lost our last cat. Yeah. Um, dear old girl. Um, we had to, she had to be put to sleep and we came home obviously desolate. Mm-hmm. And this is the episode we put on. Yeah. To sit and just have a cuddle and be upset, but then be cheered up by the end of it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of our, you know, our, our soother episode. This one, so yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also should um, give a shout out to the scene, uh, the where were you at quarter past four flashbacks? Yeah, <laughs> they're all great, but it's like it's it's so good because um, the Reverend says he was unpacking in his room, and that's the only one where his narration and the flashback match up and it turns out that he leaves the actual culprit and everyone else just mm. lying through their teeth. <laughs> yeah. And um, again, when we go back to the um, 
the the gathering of the suspects. Um, I think Agatha Christie turns her attention to the colonel, and he goes, "All right, you've you've rumbled me in that," and he sort of like stands up, revealing he's not actually disabled, and she sort of goes. <laughs> Well, I wasn't actually, you know, I'm just going to say you were actually completely innocent, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and he just has to sort of sit back uh, down. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so awkward and great, yeah. Um, mm. I, I, kind, I kind of can't believe that someone hasn't watched this, but I, just sort, I do sort of feel that, you know, if you have to pick an episode out of season four, I sort of, mm. hesi- I, I, would, well, I wouldn't hesitate to just say, put Unicorn Wasp on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, sweetie. Getting serious now. Yeah, let's head to the library. Yep. Now, we didn't know it at the time, and Mm. it took a while to become how incredibly important this was. So I kind of find it difficult to talk about Science of the Library, Forest of the Dead, objectively. Yeah. Because of what comes after. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's become really tricky, actually. Yeah. Like this this is the sort of thing we probably should have done at the time, in a way, if we if somehow we could like send a message back to our past selves. Yeah. You need to talk about this with this bloke you've never met really urgently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I have to say one of the most cacophonic uh, cliffhangers in Doctor Who history. Yes. Hey, do turn out the lights. Don't and maybe one of the most library. Don't know yeah. what I was been saved. Hey, who turned out this? I was getting to a point. I was going to go. Shut up! Yes. Okay. Oh goodness me! Turn it down. Just go already. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, full of striking imagery. Mm. Um. Silence of the library really is. Um. And yeah, I was going to say the Donna Noble has been saved. Yeah. The sort of the horror of that part. Yeah. And the hate and and I think Vashonarada might be low key one of my favourite monsters. Mm. Because it's such a horrifying concept. Yeah, and I have to sort of like tip my hat to the production crew because they've never been back. Well, apart from, I think, one of the adventure games. Yeah, the Vashon Rada in an adventure game, yeah. Yeah. Um, They've never been back in the series proper. No. And I think it should really stay that way because, yeah, I mean, they are absolutely terrifying. But then again, it's like, how much can you do the living shadow sort of thing? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's it's sort of you can't really do that much more with it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, unlike like mm. say the Weeping Angels, um, kind of like um, when we were talking about um, Blink versus Time of Angels, like in Blink they were just like scavengers. At, in Time of Angels, uh, Flesh and Stones are at the height of their powers, mm. but you can't really sort of get that with the Vashta Narada, apart from no. at least like transplanting them into <laughs> Earth, which I think is what the adventure day, uh, adventure games did. And even yeah. then, you'd have to try and like limit it somehow. Because if you've got like a species who resides in shadow, or who practically are shadows, you can't really like set it in a city in broad daylight because, you know, how the hell does the Doctor save the day? Yeah, it's, absolutely. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's kind of one of those two parts that actually kind of justifies its two parts because mm. when you get to the end of the of Silence of the Library, it really kind of feels quite impenetrable. Like also all these disparate threads that you've got. Yeah. So obviously you've got the stuff with Cow and mm. Doctor Moon and all this sort of thing, and mm. you're kind of like, I don't understand how that links into this. And yeah, but um, obviously it, by the end of it, and by the time you get to Forest of the Dead, all is revealed, mm-hmm. and it's full of Forest of the Dead is kind of full of all those ah. Moments, yeah. um, uh, but again, I I just find it so difficult to talk about this in any sort of 
objective way, mm. especially Forest of the Dead, because of what happens to to River, and yeah. you know that we we know the sequence of her life essentially mm. this whole kind of time traveler's wife thing that um you know we we know in advance what's happening to her but she doesn't and all this sort of thing it's kind of like space columbo yeah <laughs> <laughs> we know what's happened but columbo has doesn't yet mm. so we have to watch columbo get to the part get to where we are already um yeah it's uh, it's it, let's say it's full of striking imagery mm-hmm. and Although I think Forest of the Dead is slightly weaker, it kind of makes up it again with just got iconic moments. I say River's mm-hmm. death, the snapping the fingers to open the TARDIS doors, mm-hmm. um, and bloody Donna missing her perfect man. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. God, I mean, these like few episodes coming up, like really sort of stick the knife in. It really is. That's yeah. why the unicorn, the wasp, is where it is. Yeah. Because you need it to stop the tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, we got, I mean, suppose we could talk about um, Donna in the holodeck, essentially, because I always yeah. like the conceit that it has about it jumping forward and sort of like, you know, it, it's it kind of like messing with like the, the sort of like um, tropes and sort of like the way television's made is, mm. you know, you don't like have this, you know, like one character will leave this place and then the scene changes and another character enters somewhere else. But here in Forest of the Dead, they actually sort of reference it. They, mm. they, they Donna's cognizant. That's what happens. So it's like, it's like she'll like, not like well, I don't want to say cognizant, not necessarily because mm. she sort of, but she sort of realizes something's off, and you, like somebody will go, well, you know, you said we should go to bed, and now here we are. But it's like it sort of like gives to try to like seeds like the the fact that this is artificial. Yeah. yeah, it's very like the episode of, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called, Rick's going to yell at me, but the, the TNG episode where Riker is, oh. lives this fake life, he wakes uh, up and... Um, perfect? Yeah, possibly, he wakes up and he's that... the captain of the of the Enterprise and he's made yeah. to Troy and yeah, and but he sort of gradually works out that this isn't real and... Mm-hmm. You know the you know like you say a bit like in Forest of the Dead that the conceits are uh, it's kind of explaining that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That is really difficult to talk about, this, isn't it? It's so difficult to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I think we should. Sort of, I mean, say obviously. I remember at the time watching this thinking I didn't. I remember I thought that maybe the River Song. I, I wasn't sure when they would pick the River Song stuff up again, if ever, actually. Because, mm. I mean, Alex Kingston, to me, is kind of a big star. Because, yeah. you know, I was I was big into ER when she was on ER. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Mole Flanders and stuff like that. So, I mean, she was, you know, she'd been in movies and stuff like that. So, I thought well, she's, a, she's kind of a big get for the, for the series. And I thought, well, I'm not sure how they're going to get her back. And, you know, can she come back? And how are they going to do it? And I was fairly convinced that was kind of all we were going to see of River. Mm-hmm. at the time um i was wrong uh, and yeah. i'm glad i was yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah it's it's kind of very strange to go back and watch these knowing what we know now mm-hmm. and I, I kind of encourage people to do it because it's it, it's not not like an eye opener but it's it kind of how you know it's how neatly they managed to, obviously it helps when you know where you're going mm-hmm. to kind of get everything to converge at that point yeah, but yeah, it's it's really kind of an interesting experience to go back and watch at least Forest of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. Um, now, now we venture into a world of trauma for Mike as we go <laughs> into midnight. 
I, I think we're not going to talk about it for very long because we've talked about Midnight quite extensively. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's up there with maybe the most frightening episode of Doctor Who ever made. Yeah. And made um, for a tuppence as well. Yeah. So, uh, 10 left. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I, there's there's um, a few things I do want to like point out because I kind of like forgot about them. Like sort of blocking from memory. Um, mm. There's the one part, especially like at the end after like the the creature's been banished, mm. and the mother uh, of the the family who are on board. There's a bit, you know, like she's she was one of the ones like yelling for the doctor to be tossed out, and like he was yeah. the one who was possessed by the midnight entity. Um, but she says at the end when everything's sort of like everybody's still a bit raw from the experience, she just sort of goes, "I knew it was her," and the doctor just glares at her yeah and it's just like oh jesus and also the bit you know the 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 mantra the doctor has after like the creature's man and she goes it's gone 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 and he's like he's relieved but he's so rattled by it yeah. I mean, oh. it reminds me a bit of like you remember when we talked about 42 when we reviewed <laughs> um series three it's one of those things of we can't do nothing about this. And it was just pure jam. We got away with it with this alien and let's mm. hope we never meet them again because we are boned if we do. And yeah. I think it was an interesting exercise in, in vulnerability for the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, for me, it kind of reminds me of like me playing like, you know, survival horror games yeah. where they don't give you no ammo or you're not even a gun at all. And you can't do anything about what's happening to you. You just have to either run or do the hide or, you know, and I kind of hate those games. Mm-hmm. Because they make me feel vulnerable because I can't do anything about what's happening. Yeah. And it's kind of what's happening with Midnight in that it's difficult to watch as a fan of this show because the Doctor, you know, is your man. And when he's being made this vulnerable, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it makes you so uncomfortable. Yeah. And again, it's it's so significant that Donna is not on this trip. Because mm-hmm. she would have drop kicked that loudmouth cow in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and sorted everything out very quickly mm-hmm. but uh yeah the doctor kind of is there like you know oh i can fix this and then all of a sudden everybody's not interested in a word of what he's got to say mm. and he can't do nothing about it yeah. and it's scary because of that yeah i mean it's a, i think it's was it the professor um when you know the the doctor's like you know i'm quite really fascinated by this creature that's possessing sky um but when he starts like alienate everybody, I think it's the professor who says, "You know, do I have a certain glee?" Mm. You know what I mean? It's, and it's just like this is this is the doctor's being hoisted by his own petard when it comes. Oh, to it really curiosity. is, yeah. But just to st- it's still sort of like just to watch it unfold and get so close. Yeah, it. I mean, as well, it's kind of out of nowhere as well. It's um, spoilers. Can I do a quick spoiler for the wire? Is yeah. everyone going to be mad? Um, you know, in series five, where spoiler, 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 Omar is murdered by a child, mm-hmm. just out of the blue by some nobody. Yeah, this person who has sort of bestrode the entirety of the wire that everyone's afraid of, that has survived ridiculous things, just gets blown away by some random kid. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that in that the Doctor who's beaten the Daleks, the Cybermen, the this, the that, could it comes within a hair's breadth of being taken out by just some random thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I can't watch Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh God. It's, it's too, it's too, it's too raw. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like I say, um, when we did the um, five shows we, we love to hate, 
mm. after that episode was finished, I was just like sweating. And I was, yeah, I, I was literally shaking. It was like, oh, yeah, Jesus I was. Christ, I was. What was I just, what I just watch? Yeah, I was going to say, as an anxious person, that's a tough watch. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, and he, I think that obviously, you know, a lot of people who watch Doctor Who are big fans. You know, Doctor Who's their safe space, mm-hmm. you know, not not to sort of obviously kind of mock that term. But, no. you know, it, it's kind of your, your comfort blanket. It's, yeah. it's your it's your kind of your, your, your anchor. Mm-hmm. And to kind of have it cut every bit of that kind of sort of torn up and thrown screwed up into a ball is tough. Yeah. Oh, um, and relax. And relax. Not that and... it's much more jolly. It's turned left. Oh God. <laughs> Which we we talked about a bit last week, didn't we? Mm, uh, yeah. Turn left. Um, I I find this not as difficult to watch as as Midnight is, but profoundly. It still is harrowing. Moving. It's harrowing. Yeah, it yeah. really is. I mean, and it's it's kind of the way that... I mean, we've talked about this before as well. The kind of the way that we do sci-fi in this country mm-hmm. of it's mostly like Midnight is. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, quite the... the I mean, our, you know, just to generalise horribly, American sci-fi is mostly upbeat. Ours is mostly like this. Mm-hmm. In that everything is just going to get... is bad and then it's going to get worse. Yeah. And boy, um, howdy. Yeah, this is Doctor Who's threads. This is. Yeah. Well, you've you know, ever seen threads? Yeah. Well, do you know what the weird thing is? Like, if you again going back to the writer's tale, when Russell T. Davis first pitches it, it's he sort of like he describes it as sliding doors meets Doctor Who. Yes, it which, is sliding which, doors. Yeah. Yeah, but it kind of like you know it kind of makes it sound a bit fluffy. Uh, no. 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 No, it's not. No. no. But uh, you know. <laughs> It, it's kind of one of those things of one of the the fundamental ideas of of time travel. Mm. You know the the whole butterfly effect thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know the the the, the one pivotal decision mm-hmm. of doing this or doing that, yeah. which is I mean, and to sort of get to pack that into forty, you know, into three quarters of an hour. Mm-hmm. Is really remarkable. I mean, for me, although obviously the, the subject matter is, is pretty depressing, Turn Left is is up right up there in my top Doctor Who episodes of all time. It's so good. I mean, and it obviously hammers home the point that the, how important the Doctor is. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not. It, it's kind of because that sort of concept. I think one of the big criticisms of Moffat's tenure is that that concept of how important the Doctor is to everything mm-hmm. is kind of so laid on thick after this yeah but here although obviously it's the whole premise of the episode mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're weighed down by it almost you, you no. kind of go with it because you you understand these pivotal events that have happened that we've that we've seen mm-hmm. and the the doctor's part in in it yeah um you know it it kind of it doesn't come across of like this whole eulogizing of the doctor it just comes no. across as this series of awful events. Yeah. Um, I do want to like mention a few of the things that sort of the doctor doesn't really the doctor's death doesn't have like a direct influence on. So obviously it has like um things like, you know, the events of Smith and Jones where Sarah Jane dies instead and, you know, the yeah. Titanic destroys London like um when it crashes and like the Americans um are converted to adipose. Things like that. But it's the bit when um, the country devolves into a police state. And yeah, and then the people, the the, the foreigners in inverted commas, mm-hmm. are end up going to internment camps. Yeah, 
that That's, is hmm. all that is shocking. Yeah, it's you, crushing. You, you're crushing, and you know, especially in today's climate, mm-hmm. um, w- watching th- this now is really tough because, um, yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of a story aspect that they didn't almost didn't have to go down this kind mm-hmm. of the social realism part of it. Yeah, but it lends so much heaviness. Yeah, I think I you think, know. Yeah, they didn't have to, but I think it's right that they did because I think it just goes to show. Like how, you know, I mean, it's you sort of like if you think of it in terms of just like a death of one person, you know, mm. even like a time lord, just how bleak things get. Become. How- I mean, what I really like again with the design actually as well, they mm. wash out the color palette yeah. and they put in on in Catherine Tate, she's sort of wearing all this heavy wool and it's kind of like grey and they wash out her makeup. Yeah, and all this sort of thing. So that kind of that that heaviness as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. It, I'm saying it would be so easy just to make this kind of a this type, and they do put a bit of comedy in it with like obviously all these Londoners being forced to live up north, yeah. <laughs> and sort of in a in a in a house with a bunch of people they don't know and all this sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, I think that it really got a lot of praise for that depiction of the dystopia, and yeah, it's just excellent. Mm-hmm. I mean, because as well, I mean, watching this, you just go, "Wow, holy shit!" That probably would happen. Yeah. Um, it sort of reminds me as well. I'm just going to um, double check when this came out. Um, Children of Men, the adaptation of Children yeah. of Men. Um, um, when was, did that come out? Was that not 2009? I wanted to say it was like 2009 or 2010. Off the top 20, of my head. 2006. Bloody hell! Yeah. That long ago. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. That's a great, uh, a criminally mm. underwatched movie. Yeah. Children of Men, actually, um, from the, uh, an excellent book as well by P. D. James. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that they took a lot of influence from that. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, in that sort of time as well, the kind of all the awful things that came out of what was happening in Iraq um, mm-hmm. with the the prisons in Iraq and stuff like that. Yeah. There was still quite a, a lot, like I say, this is kind of the, the arse end of the Bush administration with Blair as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those, that imagery and that feeling was still very raw, I think, here in the UK and the US. Mm. And a lot of turning around and looking at ourselves and asking a lot of questions, I think. And like I say, the, the, that sort of imagery in this, it didn't have to, but it did. And it's so much better for it. Yeah. And also like the bits... Um, before Donna goes back in time to try and change things for the better. There's a bit um, she says to Rose, uh, you know, you said I was going to die, but you mean this whole world, it's going to blink out of existence. That's not dying because the better world takes its place. The doctor's all and I'm still alive. And Rose doesn't say anything. Yeah. And she, she just like, she stays silent while Donna just says, yeah, you know, I, I don't die. Rationalising it, yeah. Yeah. And then um, she just goes, I'm sorry. Yeah. But in the end, Donna still does the right thing. But it's still yeah. sort of like, it's so sad the way she has to do it. Yeah, it is, really is. She has to like force the issue of her turning left by yeah. effectively stepping out into traffic. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, as well, because it doesn't, because it, obviously it doesn't resonate on what's happened to, to the Donna that we know. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's just inconvenienced by yeah. what's happened, the traffic, and it, it kind of, you know, the profound sacrifice that her alternative self was made. Mm-hmm. As well, another thing that's very striking from the episode is the dying TARDIS. Yeah. 
I mean, as well, you're talking about, you know, Midnight is kind of ripped apart a part of the show's iconography and making the Doctor incredibly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. This rips apart the other huge piece of Doctor Who iconography, the TARDIS, mm. and turns into this poor, pathetic, dying thing with all the wires ripped out of it and all the mirrors, which is a nice shout-out for the Doctor Who, old Doctor Who fans there, yeah. um, to make kind of this bodge-together time machine. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, it's another kind of cruelty. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously, again, it's the whole thing of, especially when you see the, the the doctors died and stuff and Donna's just there and doesn't realize the significance and you, mm. you it's it's painful to see that she just sort of goes oh yeah you know when she should be <laughs> bawling her eyes out yeah and of course we've got the the very end of the episode where you know after you know 42 43 minutes of just like stabbing you in the gut over and over yeah. it then punches you in the face yeah <laughs> Is the knockout punch bad wolf? Yeah, and then because obviously it means nothing to Donna, but mm. the doctor freaks out, and mm. then obviously we it's, all freak out, and, and it's everywhere, and it's even everywhere. on even on like the TARDIS signage, it's got bad wolf on it, and then yeah. we burst into the console room, and it's all bathed in red, and the cloister bell's going, and <laughs> it's just like yeah. oh shit, is and it then, next week yet? Yeah. And then everything seems to be like kind of okay by the start of the Still on Earth. <laughs> Just like two days and asks the Milkman what day it is. <laughs> yeah, um, it's sort of again the kind of the the loose three parter idea is uh, yeah. come to the fore again um, mm-hmm. with um, the Stolen Earth. I and Journey's End. Um, it's a little bit. Oh, goodness me! It's not that it's. It's kind of a bit too much. Yeah. It's so... Everyone's in this. Yeah, yeah you know, everyone is in this. Everyone. <laughs> everyone is in this. Apart from bloody Adam, everyone is in this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that one dude from the back in one scene of this episode is there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in, in some way, it's nice that they reward people, you know, like at the time, who are watching the Sarah Jane Adventures, watching Torchwood, mm-hmm. watching this, to kind of have this kind of like the the league of superstars here and get everyone in it Mm -hmm. is and you know to have as well people who've been sort of enduring torchwood to have a tolerable gwen a tolerable um you know captain jack back Mm -hmm. you know because as we've talked about captain jack of doctor who and captain jack of torchwood are two entirely different characters (laughs) so um to have these guys back you know have these guys here and doing stuff in doctor who world you know is nice Mm -hmm. but I mean, I remember sitting about halfway through Stolen Earth. I was like, there's so much going on. There's all these people. Martha, Martha's bibbling on about the Osterhagen key. Mm-hmm. And all this. I was like, oh, my God. I need, like, a bloody flowchart to keep up with what's happening. Yeah. And I've, se- I've seen every episode of everything. Mm. Yeah, it is pretty jam-packed. Um, mm. But in a way, I kind of sort of, like, feel... I mean, I'm, I'm I'm trying to like remember like the the history of things because I don't. Uh, and obviously, you know, we've still got the specials to yeah. come. Um, but this is like Russell T Davies's last full series as yeah. showrunner. So, so he was just like, put everybody in yeah. there. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! Yes, marvelous, marvelous. Uh, um, but I mean, the I always sort of like whenever I watch it, I always sort of get goose pimples. You know, when the the gang work together to try and get the doctor to where they are. And the bit where yeah. like Mr. Smith says, calling the doctor and you've got that yeah. uh, wonderful piece of music by Marie Gold, which I always adds my, one of my favorite tracks um, from the soundtrack is that sort mm. of side 
beat. Like just constantly go and you know, and the the doctor and Donna like finally like managed to push the TARDIS through into sort of the Medusa Cascade. Yeah. Um I mean that that bit just that's like one of those like punch the air moments. It really is, and it's got to and to to rise above all of this. I remember Julian Bleach. Oh my god! Julian Bleach, maybe. I think you know it's difficult to come up against mm. Terry Malloy, yeah. but maybe the goat Davros. Yeah, he's Do you know what? I think it could easily be like a three-way tie between Michael Wisher, Terry Malloy, mm. and Julian Bleach because. Of, those three absolutely nailed Davros. I mean, poor David Goodison. I mean, okay, he was only in Destiny of the Daleks, and he was kind of he was pretty miscast. But mm. you know, Destiny of the Daleks is not a particularly great story. I mean, I'll I'll still watch it when I'm oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. mood for it. But he wasn't a particularly great Davros. Um, but I, I don't know what it's about Julian. But he's sort of like he he seems to take a lot more from Terry Malloy's. Mm. performance of Davos when he has like the really ranty bits but he also has that sort of like sense of humour to him yeah um, like the bit in uh, Journey's End where he, he, sort of, he sort of mocks the Doctor you know your, your plans have failed and all that and he just sort of like casually goes oh and the end of the universe has come you know just sort of yeah. like it's just like cloud in the sky you know yeah um, I mean I mean as well the design is great I mean because obviously you've got this kind of iconic um figure in Davros but then to sort of keep be true to that but to then make it because he's got the blacked out teeth yeah the you know obviously they've kept the metal hand mm-hmm. um but I mean the I never failed to be grossed out by the people he opens his jacket oh yeah that was like man some really creepy imagery in this series yeah it? really is wow really strong mm-hmm. but you know the, the the denouement of Stolen Earth, where you've basically got all the companions kind of trying to compete to commit suicide for the Doctor, yeah. and then Davros was like, "Gotcha, you motherfucker." Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the thing of it is, he is not wrong. He ain't wrong. He is not wrong at all. I mean, I don't know how many final victories he has in this bloody story, but yeah. he's he's absolute. He's absolutely spot on. Yeah. And I think that's why Davros works so great as like a, a nemesis of the Doctor because he can just play him, you know, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. Um, um, but I mean, I think we sort of like have to talk about the cliffhanger to the stolen of Earth, the stolen Earth because mm. that was a fucking cocktease or what. Oh, I mean, mate, I've never heard a group of people shout, what the fuck in unison yeah. so loudly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you sort of like, you you know that the Doctor isn't really going to regenerate. There's not going to be like a new actor taking over the world because... But you know, is he? Have they pulled off the coup of all time because they hid the Billy reveal from us, didn't they? Well... As it turns out, no, they didn't. They just sort of yeah. Up the... But I mean, at the time, I mean, I mean, at the time, because we had to wait a week, <laughs> That's true. and there was all this speculation. I mean, obviously, there was this thing of like, then he's not doing it, is he? Is he? he's not doing it? He's not doing it. No, they're not. Sort, they're not. And he sort of go, but maybe. but are they? Ooh. You know, it's sort of like oh, good. Mm. I mean, I'll I'll be honest. This is the sort of thing I would actually love to see happen in the series. Yes, yeah. you have a two-parter. The Doctor regenerates at the end of part one, and then he has to sort of like solve the problem of like the story, but also sort of get to grips with his brand new body and persona at the same time. Mm. I, 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 I mean, 
it's one of those few things I'd like to see happen. I don't think I'll ever do it necessarily, but I was I just think that would be like it's like one of those things like why haven't they tried this before? Yeah, it seems obvious, doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. but I just think that there's also a desire just for the actor to to give them a clean break mm-hmm. and to give them you know an episode or you know give them a, a certain amount of time to get used to yeah. being the doctor i mean we've seen the doctor basically it, it's kind of actually become quite common that the doctor regenerates and then is immediately thrown into a problem mm-hmm. but yeah being having to regenerate halfway through the problem we haven't seen yeah um so i think that might be coming i mean who knows we've got a regeneration coming we know this but yeah um, you know, are they going to be brave enough to to do that? But um, the problem is, you, you sort of run the risk of doing a sixth Doctor, mm-hmm. in that you have, you know, an episode of the sixth Doctor. Your last shot is obviously that you don't know the plans coming up. Your last shot of the Doctor for months of him being a dickhole, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to <laughs> live with that knowledge up, up to a, a, an indeterminate future point where the series comes back. Mm. So it's a it's a dang risky gamble. Yeah. Um, God, man, this, this is a real, there's a hell of a lot to talk about in the this like series finale. Um, yeah. Anything in particular you wanted to bring up? Um, it's got to be it's got to be the ending for me. Yeah, maybe the most cruel fate. Mm. I mean, it, it's kind of almost worse than dying. Yeah, because it is worse than dying. He's worse than dying because especially with a character like Donna, who we've sort of, you know, it kind of almost taking that that feeling that you had as a, as a fan going in of like, I'm not convinced about this woman mm-hmm. falling in love with her yeah. and then having it ripped away from you. And it's going back to how she was when we first met, met her. her. Yeah. And we didn't like her. Yeah. It, and it's it's just... incredibly cruel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. And you know, it, oddly enough, um, I've got a bit of a story about this because um, mm. we were in Cardiff when they were filming this oh. and we watched this filmed. All right. Um, and so what happened was we got kind of a, you know, the text went out saying they're here they're in this street. Go, go, go. So we basically <laughs> were in Cardiff. We got on a train to like this random sort of suburb of Cardiff. Mm-hmm. We'd never been before. Um, everyone had heard about it. Of course, you know, forums were a thing back, more of a thing back in 2000, you know, eight or seven when we were filming this or mm-hmm. beginning of 2008. Uh, you know, so it's freezing cold. and But everyone found out. Yeah. And suddenly the street had about 300 people in it. Mm. <laughs> um but you know and we didn't realize what we were watching yeah you know so we watched them put the tardis up and the and donna and the doctor run and sort of we we're trying to hear the dialogue and all this sort of thing and just the it but the, the experience of watching it trying to them trying to film when you know it got <laughs> an incredible because obviously the texts were going out so all the more people were turning up turning up mm-hmm. and I remember because there were little kids there and yeah. it was so funny I was I, I was earwigging a couple of little kids and one of them said to his friend oh where's such and such and she was like oh she's a brownie she can't come oh. <laughs> and I was like oh this poor kid and they were just laughing about it and I was like oh my god it's so weird remember they went for one take mm-hmm. And um, he was just about halfway across the street. And this little voice called out from the thing, I love you, Doctor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but you ruined the take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just watching, I mean, and as well, you know, um, remember I was sitting at home watching and thinking, I wonder where this scene is. I wonder what it's got to do with anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and then suddenly realising that, oh, we saw that. Oh. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it, 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 you know, it's got these little bits... 
you, you, you know, it's that sort of cruelty of you have this triumph of the stuff of everybody flying the TARDIS like it's meant to be flown mm-hmm. and putting all the planets back and yeah, it's all great. And then mm. you realise what's happening and you know, and Donna's so great when she's got all the doctor knowledge and she's being brilliant and it's like, oh, I just want her to be great and I just want a series of this. It's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they just rip it all away from you. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it, um, there was supposed to be uh, a, a, an old style, like what, what, what sort of yeah. ending um, with the segment because obviously they appear in the next Doctor, uh, the first mm-hmm. of the series four specials. But it was taken out, and I think kind of like for the better, actually, because yeah. you, all it's like ends on is you know the rain-soaked Doctor just alone mm-hmm. in the TARDIS, like with what he's had to do, and sort of quite rightly because this would have killed her. But it, you know, it. I mean, it's it's still sort of killed her, but it's not mm-hmm. like physically killed her. But the fact of he had to do that, I and mean, there was like yeah. no other choice in the matter really sort of like you can just like see it on his face you know how much it mm. just weighs on him like how much he just loathes himself for having to have to do that yeah um. absolutely but yeah it's a i mean all in all um maybe a touch messy as a two-parter but has mm. enough moments in it that you just enjoy the hell out of it yeah. it's such a role it's such a ride um and um, so, shall we move on to sort of g- general closing thoughts on series four? Um, I think I, might, I said it earlier, but I think this is yeah. probably the strongest. Absolutely s- is of the Russell T Davies series. I mean, I think for me, and I know that Chuck said this several times when I was talking about what we were doing, to, what we were recording today. Mm-hmm. Maybe my favorite series since the Return. Yeah, it's, it's certainly definitely up there. Yeah, it really um, is. Yeah. Um. It's just, you know, I mean, yes, there are always ups and downs, but this is just one of the most consistently strong series of Doctor Who we've had since it came Yeah, back. I mean, I know we sort of, I mean, I think that there's a bit of a dip, if you're yeah. really, if you're brutally honest. I think that, I mean, unfortunately, I think as well, all these 13 episode series have kind of all had the same problem is slightly in about episode five, six, seven, mm-hmm. there's kind of a bit of a lull. Yeah, and I think obviously it happens a bit earlier in this because obviously you have the poison sky, the, the doctor's daughter. It, mm-hmm. It's a little bit down, but I think just on hits to miss ratio. Oh yeah, it's just pure bangers. Mm-hmm. It's it's all good stuff. It's you know all killer no filler almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know we were skeptical at first, but Catherine Tate absolutely just brings it as Diana. magnificent my favorite companion of the return mm-hmm. hands down yeah yeah and um you know i kind of want to like give a shout out to um, one of our sister hosts on the uh Sydney syndicate network uh ro karen from starbase 66 mm-hmm. because when we were first like floating this idea we so wanted to like bring her on board we did yeah to chat with it um because her favorite doctor companion pairing is 10 and donna I mean, I haven't really expo- spoken to her since, like, Capaldi took over. I know she was very down on Matt Smith, um, yeah. but I've never really managed to find out, like, what if she's, like, like returned to the series now that Capaldi's taken over um, and is due to leave. Damn it. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've been absolutely smashing. And um, Karen, you know, if you're listening, you know, we love you. Um, we would have loved to have, like, 
brought you on board. This was kind of like kind of like a last minute sort of like decision yeah. made to do this because we're really just trying to kill time until series ten starts. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> hey, look, don't let them see behind the curtain. Yeah. We planned all of this. Yeah. It's all like good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also, I mean, because, um, you know, sort of our schedules and stuff, we, mm-hmm. we it, it sort of worked out to do this. But, um, yeah, well, it'd be interesting. Maybe now Supergirl's let her down. Maybe she'll come back to Doctor Who and yeah. um, <laughs> let us let her, we can let her down again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe she'll give us another try. Yeah, so, um, Karen, if, you, if you're listening to us, you know, drop us a line or something. Just let us know what uh, your thoughts were, because we'd love to hear them, because... Like I say, she's very keen on Doctor's Honour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, I guess that's really kind of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of love it. So yeah. I'll be. I'll be. I'll, you know what? Good, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah good. Um. <laughs> you know what? I mean, because I know quite. A, you know, I know sort of quite a, a wide spectrum of fans and stuff is sort of online and real life, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to find someone who doesn't like this. Yeah. I mean, there'll be somebody. I'm sure there'll be somebody. But, and if you're that somebody, please write in. Cause yeah. We, again, we. I mean, I'm always interested to hear alternative views. I mean, because it's so easy to sort of be in your bubble and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, um, you know, kind of just listen to the viewpoints on Doctor Who that you kind of go agree with mm-hmm. just for your own sanity because, you know, my, my rage... Um, you know, gland is kind of swollen and, and itchy, so I need it to, <laughs> to, to be brought down a bit. So, um, yeah, so it, it, I'm always interested in alternative points of view, I think it's a healthy thing. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, your thoughts on season four, people are listening, but you know, if you're a person who didn't dig series four for whatever reason, please let us know. This is a judgment free zone, yeah. And so, if you know, good or bad, if you have any thoughts about series four. You can send them to us at our regular email address, greatestshowatsynthesisindicated.com, uh, to our Twitter account at greatestshowpod, and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. Uh, whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out some of our sister shows on the Simply Syndicated network, such as Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, To That Do Tell, Back Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Take It or Leave It, The Seventh Chevron, Little Pot of Horrors, Queer Studies, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense with Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, For Those About to Rock, and the, uh, again, the grand return of Starbase 66, now a monthly podcast, but that's okay. Um, it's better than better than no episodes. Exactly. Yes, that's true. Um, as usual, Simply Syndicate is in need of your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. For a monthly fee of just six pounds, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive to Simply Everything shows, Shaken Not Stirred, and the Remote Patrol spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. We also have a merchandising store available for both Europe and America, offering uh, branded apparel and accessories. So if you want a Night Arrows t-shirt, they're still there. Go grab yourself some. Uh, you can also support us through a monthly pledge on Patreon, where you can get exclusive uh, content there. Or you can simply donate to the network through paypal.me, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. Uh, so with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye. <laughs>